Cue and Review, celebrating 40 years of audio production, welcomes you to this week's edition of the Glasgow Times Sports Podcast, recorded from our studio in the Bishopbriggs Media Centre and by our volunteers working from home. Keep up to date with Cue and Review news via our Facebook, Twitter or Instagram at Cue and Review, that's at sign C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W or get in touch with us directly by emailing information at qreview.com that's I-N-F-O-R-M-A-T-I-O-N at sign C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W dot C-O-M or by calling 0141-772-3976 Please like and share our podcast and give us constructive feedback. Evening Times Sport, May 2. Nick Roger says, Tony Fino lands blow for all the losers. Age is an odd thing, isn't it? I bring this up purely on the basis that it was my birthday yesterday and I spent it writing this column in between poking and prodding quizzically at the various lines on my face, like some puzzled tourist trying to plot a route on a map of the London underground. As I gazed at my increasingly haggard physog and mulled over the possibility of touching up my crow's feet with a dollop of tiling grout, It dawned on me that, at 47, I am about four years older than the current UK Prime Minister, and in my head, that shouldn't be allowed. As far as I am concerned, senior politicians should always be older and fustier than me, no matter how much I age. It's a ridiculous notion, I know, but this column has always been a platform for ridiculous notions, hasn't it? Anyway, as we hurtle through the years, it also dawned on me that I've spent almost half my life writing about golf, even though that haunting byline picture you see on this page probably looks more like someone ravaged by the exertions of working down a mine for two and a bit decades. It's been a tough old coalface. Talking of chiselling away, Let's hear it for Tony Finot. The canny, laid-back American underlined his immense talent on Sunday by easing to a three-shot victory over Masters champion John Ram in the Mexico Open. It was the 33-year-old's first victory of 2023 and there's a good chance it won't be his last. Okay. So it wasn't the strongest field of the PGA Tour year in this campaign of star-studded elevated events, but standing firm and claiming the honours with poise and purpose when the world number one is breathing down your neck is no mean feat. Last season, Finot won three times. The year before, he nabbed a first victory on the PGA Tour since 2016, In that period between a breakthrough triumph and a long overdue follow-up, Finot became the ultimate nearly man 
and had more close shaves than those razors old Victor Kayam used to champion with glee on the telly. There were playoff defeats here and Sunday struggles there, while players like Jordan Spieth went through what was labelled a slump. Fanoel couldn't even have a slump because he hadn't won enough to call it a slump. Amid it all, however, he never lost faith, even if some of those pesky golf writers were losing theirs. You guys keep telling me, when are you going to win again? He said to the assembled press corps after ending his drought back in 2021. That made me hungry. Fino was the man who would do just about everything right except close the deal. Getting over the line is easier said than done, of course, in a hard, unforgiving, competitive environment in which you lose far more often than you win. His unwavering mental fortitude, allied to his superb skill set, was always going to reap the rewards eventually, far from dwelling on the various ones that got away and allowing golf's complex demands and fickle fortunes to gnaw away at him, Finot would maintain an admirable philosophical approach. Every time I don't close a tournament, I'm never thinking, wow, I let another slip, I'm never going to have that opportunity again, he once reasoned. For me, it's like, what did I learn? And how can I take what I learned? into the next opportunity. You're always learning in this game. Even us crude amateurs who eke out a modest existence in that well-populated environment of golfing futility manage to find something positive to cling to amid the regular tempests of raging ineptitude. It's all part of the game's enduring charm. Perhaps one of Fino's most pertinent observations came in the wake of his victory at the Rocket Mortgage Classic last year, when he landed his second win as had many starts on the tour. A winner is just a loser who kept on trying, he said. I'll try to keep that sense of patience, positivity and perseverance in mind when I'm totting up my score at the next media staple word competition. And another thing, keeping the heed when it can be very easy to lose it can be a tricky task in this infuriating pursuit. I'm trying not to get too emotional on the course, said Oban's Robert McIntyre during the Korea Championship. Whatever happens, just hit it, deal with it, hit it again. Or in this correspondent's case, duff it, deal with it, duff it again. McIntyre was making a good fist of hitting it and dealing with it as he moved to the front with a round to go. But he just couldn't get going on the final day and dropped back into a share of seventh. While disappointed not to have earned the third tour title of his career, McIntyre will begin the defence of his Italian Open crown this week in reasonable fettle. He heads to Rome on the back of three successive top seven finishes on the DP World Tour. Hopefully the big performance and result that McIntyre craves in this Ryder Cup year 
is just around the corner. What were we saying about patience, positivity and perseverance again, says Nick Roger. Evening Times Sport, May 2. Police to have increased pyrotechnics powers for Scottish Cup final. Report by Matthew Lindsay. The Scottish Government has condemned the widespread use of pyrotechnics at the Scottish Cup semi-final and stressed that Police Scotland will have increased powers in place to tackle offenders when the final is played in June. A large number of flares, smoke canisters and strobes were set off by both Celtic and Rangers supporters before the match between the Glasgow rivals at Hampden and kick-off in the last four encounters, which was shown live on television by satellite broadcasters via play, was delayed for several minutes to allow thick smoke inside the stadium to clear. Nobody was injured during the coordinated displays, and police only made five arrests for minor public order offences during an old firm game that was watched by a crowd of nearly 50,000. However, many fans threw lit devices, which burn at temperatures of up to 2,000 degrees Celsius from the stands onto the track, which runs around the pitch, and several of them narrowly missed matchday stewards. First Minister Hamza Yousaf, who warned of the dangers of pyrotechnics at football matches back in March, and pledged to hold talks with all stakeholders in the Scottish game about how to address the escalating problem, was a guest of the SFA at the match. The Criminal Law Consolidation Scotland Act 1995 made it illegal for anyone to be in possession of a pyrotechnic article entering or attending a sporting event in this country. However, MSPs at Holyrood passed the fireworks and Pyrotechnics Article Scotland Act 2022, which enables police officers to search anyone who they believe may be carrying pyrotechnic devices outside of a ground without warrant, and that is set to come into force next month. The Scottish Cup final between Celtic and Inverness Caledonia Thistle, whose supporters also threw smoke bombs onto the pitch before and during their semi-final against Falkirk on Saturday, will take place at Hamden on Saturday, June 3. A Scottish Government spokesman said, no one should be put at risk of harm from the misuse of pyrotechnic articles. It is already a criminal offence to take or attempt to take pyrotechnics, including fireworks, into football stadiums and the Fireworks and Pyrotechnic Articles Scotland Act 2022 will provide Police Scotland with further measures to deter and prevent their use from June 2023. We welcome the stance that football authorities, clubs, many fans and fan groups, as well as frontline services have taken to pyrotechnic misuse, speaking out against it and working together on joint messaging and awareness raising. Speaking to Radio Clyde back in March, 
after the Viaplay Cup final between Celtic and Rangers had been marred by extensive pyrotechnic use. Mr Yusuf said, I'd be keen to talk to all of those involved in Scottish football around pyrotechnics. It is frankly dangerous. We have seen in other European countries just the use of pyrotechnics and how they can cause real damage to people, real injury. I am a football fan. I love watching the football. It's been a long time since I've been to the stadium because of the job. But we want it to be a safe environment for families to come as well. So more than happy if I am elected First Minister to make sure that the Justice Secretary and I have those conversations with the footballing stakeholders to see what we can do to ensure that our game, our beautiful game, our nation's game is as safe as possible for everyone. Report by Matthew Lindsay Evening Times Sport, May 2 Teams Rangers could face in daunting Champions League qualifiers Report by Aidan Smith With the season entering its final stages, attention is slowly turning to Europe and the start of next term when qualifiers come around. Rangers look set to head into the Champions League qualifying stages in around 14 weeks' time and they could face off against some of Europe's elite. The Govan outfit will discover their third qualifying round opponents on July 24 and play them over two legs on August 8th or 9th and the 15th. If they are successful in this tie, they would then move to the playoff round where they would have to navigate through a double header if they want to book their place in the group stages alongside rival Celtic. Five countries will definitely provide teams in the draw as possible opponents for Rangers. From France, currently Lange, Monaco or Marseille look like possible contenders. Braga or Porto could be faced from Portugal, while PSV or Ajax look likely from the Netherlands. From Austria, Strom, Graz, Lask or Salzburg are currently in and around the European places. FKTSC FK Kukariki or Partizan Belgrade would be possible opponents from Serbia. Other clubs Rangers could face include the likes of Dnipro 1, Antwerp, Lucerne or Panathinaikos. Possible opponents will be confirmed come the end of all the European domestic league seasons. Meanwhile, Rangers manager Michael Beale has told his squad some players will be fighting for their futures as their disappointing season enters the final stages. Three consecutive defeats against City rivals Celtic have put the hoops well on course for the treble and cemented Beale's desire to revamp his squad in the summer. Evening Time Sport, May 3 Bobby Madden details why he has decided to retire as a referee. Report by Aidan Smith Bobby Madden has opened up on his decision to retire as a referee 
after calling time on a 20-year career. The whistler quit Scottish football to take charge of matches in England last summer, but he has now decided to hang up his whistle for a final time. Madden refereed top matches in Scotland, including numerous old firm derbies between Celtic and Rangers, but he feels the time is right, especially with opportunities arising off the football pitch. He told The Sun, I have had a lot of great experiences and a thoroughly enjoyable time, but it got to the stage where I now have other commitments. There's my work, I've got a young daughter, and I'm going through the process of getting a master's degree. I'm also doing my first triathlon, so there's been a lot going on. My friends say I'll miss it. I used to love waiting for the appointments to come in. It was one of the highlights of the week, especially if there was a big match upcoming. But in the few weeks I've not taken games, I've not missed that, and I've not missed preparing and travelling for games. One of the reasons I stepped out of international football and went to England is I thought I'd do a year or two to phase myself out. In many ways, going to England has softened that journey a little. If I'd stopped in Scotland, I would probably be more aware of the big appointments that were pending, who was appointed where, and whether I might have got the game. I moved to England and enjoyed it, but I wasn't as involved, so it allowed me to transition out more comfortably than leaving directly from Scotland. I still enjoyed the challenge of refereeing, but I just thought now is the right time, with all my other various ventures, to call it a day. Report by Aidan Smith Evening Times Sport May 3 Cameron Carter Vickers learns extent of injury Report by Ewan Payton The extent of Cameron Carter Vickers' injury has reportedly been revealed. The Celtic centre-back season is now over following Sunday's victory over Rangers in the semi-final of the Scottish Cup. Ange Postecoglou confirmed that the American international will play no further part for the Scottish champions as they bid to win yet another treble in the last month of the campaign. The defender is set to go under the knife to fix an injury issue that has been bothering the 25-year-old. Now, according to SBI Soccer, Carter Vickers could be out for three or four months as he recovers from surgery. If accurate, it means that Celtic's best defender would be missing for the 2023-24 season opener, which takes place on August 4. Evening Times Sport, May 3. Matt Faggerson credits success to Smith's squad rotation. Report by Stuart Bathgate. Glasgow's ability to fight on two fronts this season is a stark contrast to what has usually been the case with both Scottish teams. And according to Warriors back row forward Matt Faggerson, there is one big reason why the team have been in such good form in both the Challenge Cup and the URC this season 
head coach Franco Smith's ruthless policy of squad rotation. The received wisdom is that every team have a recognised first choice 15 and that every coach needs to know what his best selection is. But since taking over at Scotston last summer, Smith has stood that wisdom on its head by insisting on developing more viable candidates for each position and not letting any player take his place for granted. When Glasgow visited Bath in the Challenge Cup in December, for example, the South African picked what looked very much like a second string, but he insisted it was the right team to win that particular game, and he was proved right, as a relatively inexperienced group rose to the occasion. Five months on, the Warriors have hardly lost a game since, and after winning their Challenge Cup semi-final against Scarlets last weekend, are now at home to Munster on Saturday in the URC quarter-finals. Back row forward Fagerson said, The rotation is great for the players. It breeds great competition in training. Everyone is chomping at the bit. Everyone wants to play. And Franco has got trust throughout the whole squad. It keeps everyone on their toes. And when people do get their opportunity, that's when they take it with both hands. Just as importantly, the players who are omitted from the matchday squad, the so-called non-23, also have a crucial role to play in the build-up to each game. Pagerson added, Our non-23 have been huge for the last couple of months, really bringing it on a Tuesday and Thursday. And that's what you want going into knockout rugby. In addition to keeping his players on their toes when it comes to selection, Smith has encouraged them to develop versatility and to be able to slot in and out of position if needs must. Given his preference for a 6-2 split on the bench between forwards and backs, that can on occasion mean someone who is normally in the pack finds himself alongside the higher numbered jerseys as was the case with Ferguson when he came off the bench during the recent game against Connor and slotted in at centre. The Scotland international continued, He's massive on his fitness. He's drilled that into us from pre-season. We do a lot of skill stuff here as well with the tight forwards. He's happy with anyone playing on the ball. I wouldn't quite put one of the tight five in the backs, but I'm sure if it came down to it, he wouldn't have a problem. We know that with a 6-2 split, if we do get injuries in the backs, then we've got people who can slot in there. I enjoy playing at centre. Whatever I can do for the team, it's good to know that we've got that cover. My last year at school, I played a lot at 12. So I've got a little bit of experience there. Hopefully Franco doesn't start trying to pick me at 12 usually, but I have had a couple of games there. Munster have been one of the Warriors' closest rivals for some time, going back at least to the 2015 Pro 12 final, in which the Scottish side came out on top. 
When it comes to Saturday at Scotston, however, Ferguson believes it is best to ignore what has gone before. And he said, I think you've got to park it. A lot of the rivalry was years gone by. It's a huge occasion. I love playing against Munster, and I'm sure the boys do as well. I don't feel personally there's any bad blood. It's a very physical game always, and those are the sort of games I look forward to the most. I think this weekend is going to be no different. Glasgow might well hope it is going to be no different from the recent game against the teams in Limerick, when they won 38-26 after more or less having the game wrapped up by half-time. But in a few short weeks since that match, Munster have completed their regular season with a couple of very impressive performances. Said Ferguson, They went to South Africa and came back with a win against the Stormers and a draw against a star-studded Sharks team. Their tails will be up at the minute. I thought some of their contact work in the forwards was brilliant when they played the Sharks. Obviously, after the result last time at Toman Park, they'll be wanting to come for a better result here. Report by Stuart Bathgate Evening Times Sport May 3 Jack Butland Rangers Transfer Latest Report by Aidan Smith Craig Moore has revealed some Rangers intelligence he has heard surrounding goalkeeper Jack Butland. The Englishman has been heavily linked with a transfer to Ibrox in recent weeks, with Michael Beale on the hunt for a new number one. Alan McGregor is set to vacate his position at the end of the season, and Butland has been pointed as a possible replacement. Former Rangers defender Moore has heard that there is firm interest in the goalkeeper from Rangers, and he has also detailed Butland's demands of being a number one and playing all the time. He told Goal Radio, I believe that he is someone who is of real interest to the football club in terms of his ability. He is a goalkeeper that would love to be playing more. He has a huge presence and by all accounts would not mind playing for Rangers. Again, that is just what I am hearing. Rangers definitely need a number one goalkeeper. Report by Aidan Smith Evening Times Sport, May 3 Martin Hannan says, Much to look forward to, thanks to Scotland women and the Warriors. After an exciting weekend of Scotland's success, we now have a great deal to look forward to not least because of the perceived improvement in the performances of Scotland's national women's team. They knew what they had to do against Ireland and did it with six tries and a display of courage that saw them come back from a first half dominated by Ireland to win comfortably at the end. I was particularly impressed by Meryl Smith and Francesco McGee but the whole squad put it together in a way that augurs well for the future. The women's game in general is on the up and up, as there were more than 4,000 spectators at Scotland's game, 
while England's clincher against France was watched by more than 58,000 paying fans, a world record attendance for a women's match. I look forward to the day when Murrayfield hosts a huge crowd when Scotland's women go for a grand slam. Glory be, we also have a European final looming for the first time in eight years, thanks to Glasgow Warriors' dramatic victory over Scarlets in Furnethley. In 2015, it was Edinburgh who made it to the final of the Challenge Cup, losing 13-19 to Gloucester. So now it is the Warriors' chance to become the first Scottish team to win a European trophy in Dublin's Aviva Stadium on May 19. They will play Toulon, who have reached four Challenge Cup finals over the years, but have never won any of them. Is that a good omen for Glasgow, or will it just spur the French side on to claim victory at a fifth attempt? Last year's runners-up, they lost to Lyon, who ousted the Warriors in the quarter-finals, beat Benetton at the weekend despite playing most of the match with 14 men after Cheryl Olivon was red-carded early doors for a head contact with Matteo Minosi. The legend that is Sergio Parisi inspired the French to a gritty win, and since he will be 40 come the World Cup, it worries me that Parisi will want one last shot at glory in the final at Glasgow's expense. They also have Dan Bigger and Cheslin Colby, as well as a string of French internationals so this will be a very tough assignment for the Warriors. Much will depend on whether Olivon gets a suspension that rules him out of the final, for he is one of the best back row players in the world right now, and his presence or absence might be a determining factor in whether the trophy goes to the Clyde or the Mediterranean. I will preview that match in a future column but there's a more pressing engagement for the Warriors this weekend when Munster visit the Scotston Stadium for the quarter-final of the BKT United Rugby Championship, kicking off on Saturday, May 6th at 7.35pm. A full house is expected for a match that Warriors know they must win or else be accused of choking when the pressure is on though the way they reacted to going behind to Scarlet tells me that Franco Smith's men are no chokers. I can assure you, Munster are still smarting at their defeat by the Warriors back in March, only the third time that Glasgow have won at Tomond Park. Sion Valanu was one of several standout performances in that match. And if he plays on Saturday, I expect Munster to be more aware of the dangers that he and the likes of Jack Dempsey, Matt Faggerson and Rory Darge will pose. And how's that for a star quartet of back rowers? The match will as always be won and lost up front, but if Glasgow can secure enough ball, then the Warriors have the backs to punish the Irish province. 
Munster coach Graeme Rowntree will have an almost full squad to choose from after Munster had a rest weekend. But it looks as though Keith Earls might not make it. Tag Byrne is back, however, after missing most of the Guinness Six Nations, the Ireland lock picking up an ankle injury that has kept him out since the victory over France. So two squads with major strength and depth. It's a mouth-watering prospect. I do not want to put my tipster's curse on Glasgow. So let's just say I expect a tremendous match and plenty cheers from the home fans. I cannot close this column without paying a personal tribute to one of the stalwarts of the club game, Muir Twig of Lismore Rugby Football Club, who passed away at the weekend. Condolences to Maureen and the family. I first met Muir when we both worked for Edinburgh District Council and he persuaded me to join Liz Moore, a move I have never regretted. He first played for Liz Moore 50 years ago and then joined the committee, his weekly telephone calls to selected players becoming legendary. Muir was one of those gentlemen who never sought a reward for their long service to a community club and we owe him and all such dependables a huge vote of thanks, says Martin Hannan. Evening Times Sport, May 3. The special Celtic stars giving McGregor treble push deja vu. Report by Liam Bryce. Callum McGregor feels there are shades of the invincibles about Celtic's special crop of talent. The Parkhead captain and his teammates are storming towards a world record eighth domestic treble after reaching the Scottish Cup final with victory over Rangers on Sunday. They will face Inverness Caledonian Thistle on June 3 by which time they will surely have been crowned Premiership champions for a second consecutive year. McGregor was part of the Celtic side which won all three major competitions without losing a single match. And while that particular record is out of reach this season, the 29-year-old says the calibre of player and strength of character in the dressing room recalls that of 2016-17. He said there are aspects of that just the way it feels. Sometimes you get a feeling as a player that you have special guys in there with you. And these things only happen when you have special people around you, giving everything to the cause. We've got a lot of work to do between now and then, but we should take a lot of confidence from last Sunday and another big game when we've managed to get the job done. If you manage to do the treble, it's a combination of being almost perfect in the big games. You know how difficult that is throughout the season. You have seen a lot of good teams not do it, so our focus is just to take each day as it comes. We have four or five weeks that can be really exciting, and if we apply ourselves properly and make the right sacrifices, then we're hoping to get as many rewards as we can. Celtic can clinch the league championship 
by beating Hearts at Tynecastle on Sunday, the same venue at which the 2017 title was won. McGregor and James Forrest are the only two remaining players from that day and the midfielder is determined to put on a repeat performance. He said, this is a new group and we have spoken about this a lot. We want to write our own history as a group of players along with the management team. So it's a case of back to work and our full focus will be on getting a positive result at the weekend and obviously wrapping up the league. Report by Liam Bryce. From the Glasgow Times sports section, date Thursday the 4th of May 2023. Greg Taylor gives Yuki Kobayashi vote of confidence. Report by Ryan McGinley. Yuki Kobayashi has been back to fill the big shoes of Cameron Carter-Vickers in his absence by his Celtic teammate Greg Taylor in a vote of confidence for the Japanese central defender. Carter-Vickers, an ever-present in the Hoops defences campaign, has played his final minutes of the season, a knee operation set to keep him out for three to four months according to reports. Taylor, however, rates Kobayashi highly and backs the January signing to make a positive impact on the team especially beside Swedish international Karel Starfelt. He said, Yuki is unbelievable. Especially being on the ball on that left side with the left foot, I think it's also, it'll also help Karel. Karel defends unbelievably, but it's not easy playing the left side when he's right-footed. He does outstandingly well even when playing out with that, but it gives us a good balance for Yuki maybe coming in as a left-footer, so there's definitely more to come from us as a team. Kobayashi, an under-20 under international for his country, officially joined Celtic from G1 League club Vassil Kobe. This move reunited the defender with striker Kyogo Furuhashi, who played with him in the same, same Japanese outfit. Meanwhile, Kenny Miller has dispelled the huge gap that currently stands between Celtic and Rangers. The former striker insists people could become far too obsessed over the matter. The Hoops are just one win away from securing their second title in a row. If Ange Postelikoglu's men defeat Hearts on Sunday afternoon, they will be crowned champions of Scotland for the 53rd time. Michael Beale's side will end the campaign trophyless, which was confirmed after last weekend's Scottish Cup semi-final loss at the hands of Celtic. Several pundits have, this week, spoken over the distance between the Glasgow Giants in terms of quality and progress. But Miller isn't having it, as he insisted next season will be far closer. Speaking at a McDonald's fun football event, he told the Scottish Sun, Some people are obsessed with the term, the gap. When I was involved in it, it was something I absolutely hated. Listen, Celtic could win 56 before Rangers win 56. That's clearly possible when there are only two teams that could win the league. But when I was involved in it, I absolutely hated the term, the gap. It's all some people go on about, but what do they actually mean? If they're talking about a points gap, then that's easy because that's black and white. You just need to look at the league table. And that was a report by Ryan McGinley. From the Glasgow Times sports section, Thursday the 4th of May 2023. John Bennett Rangers talks with Club 1872 detailed. Report by Ewan Payton. Rangers chairman John Bennett has met with the supporter group Club 1872, it has been confirmed. 
The organisation has revealed that the Jersh chief met for a tour face-to-face with members. The shareholders and fan group were left disillusioned by former chair Douglas Park. However, in a statement, Club 1872 say they were left encouraged by their meeting with Bennett, where various concerns were raised. Amid a current overhaul behind the scenes with the likes of Park, Ross Wilson, Stuart Robertson and Andrew Dixon all departing, the fan group revealed details of their conversation with Bennett. A group statement reads, Yesterday, Club 1872 held a meeting with New Rangers chairman, John Bennett, in London. This was the first meeting between Club 1872 and a current RAFC director since March 2020, and we were very encouraged that Mr Bennett took the time to meet with us so early in his chairmanship. We have been on public record since last year regarding our serious concerns over the day-to-day management and general direction of the club. Yesterday's meeting presenting Club 1872 was our first opportunity in three years to bring a number of those concerns directly to the attention of the RIFC board. The purpose of the meeting was to have an introductory discussion addressing historical issues, including the circumstances leading to the club's disengagement from dialogue with Club 1872 and other areas of concern to Club 1872 contributors and the wider support. It was agreed by both parties that this should be done with a view to moving forward together for the benefit of Rangers. During the meeting, which lasted over two hours, Mr Bennett was willing and eager to listen to Club 1872's views and, in turn, he explained the club's perspective on various issues. In that regard, it was a very useful exchange of views. We were extremely encouraged by Mr Bennett's openness and willingness to listen. One point which emerged from the meeting is that Mr Bennett clearly believes that actions speak louder than words. It has been clear from recent announcements that there are major changes underway at Ibrox. We welcome those changes along with Mr Bennett's demonstration in our meeting of his commitment to meaningful, two-way fan engagement. Mr Bennett made it clear that he regards our organisation and strong support of representation as an important aspect of the future development of the club. We hope and believe that the Chairman found our lengthy discussion useful including the information we have presented to him relating to the club's engagement with Club 1872 and the range of support generally, and how that might be improved. Both parties agreed that continued dialogue is essential and will quickly progress into more detailed discussion over the coming weeks. And that report was by Ewan Payton. Evening Time Sport, May 5. Barry Ferguson sends Celtic title warning to Rangers squad. Report by Aidan Smith Barry Ferguson insists Rangers cannot allow Celtic to overtake their title haul as Ange Postecoglou's side close in on a treble. A Scottish Cup win and a title confirmation would see the Parkhead side reach 116 trophies, just one behind Rangers 117. Celtic have won 52 league titles. 40 Scottish Cups, 21 League Cups and famously a European Cup in 1967. Rangers have won 55 top flight titles, 34 Scottish Cups, 27 League Cups and the 1972 European Cup Winners' Cup. On the prospect of Celtic overtaking Rangers, Ferguson wrote in the Daily Record, there is a gap but it's nowhere near as large as been claimed. And as for Celtic beating my old club to the 56 titles landmark, 
That cannot be allowed to happen. No Rangers team should require extra motivation to win a league, but that incentive alone makes it imperative the league flag is returned to Ibrox next season. Michael Beale has already spoken about the size of the rebuild and admitted it will be the largest for years, so that tells you what's being planned and I am genuinely excited by it. Ferguson also commented on the current revamp of the Rangers board. In recent weeks, Douglas Park, Stuart Robertson and Ross Wilson have all left the club and Ferguson says this could be an important refresh for the club as a whole. He added, the revamp is also in full flow off the field and it suggests the new chairman John Bennett wants a freshness introduced across the boardroom and within the football department. Change should not be looked at negatively. With change you get new ideas and energy brought to the table, so it's no bad thing. John's predecessor Douglas Park has done his time and Stuart Robertson will be replaced by James Bisgrove as CEO in the summer. And now we've heard that Andrew Dixon, Director of Finance and Football Administration, is also moving on. Andrew is someone I know well and was brought in by David Murray in the early 1990s. Director of Football Ross Wilson is away to Nottingham Forest and Craig Mulholland will also leave after being head of the academy and all of these guys have been at the club for a number of years and have all played their part. The bottom line is the chairman believes it's not only on the pitch where a revamp is required. We have every aspect of the running of the club being looked at and changes being made. Personally, I like what I am seeing. It will add a freshness, a new energy and ideas to drive Rangers forward. Football clubs must always adapt. All of these individuals who are leaving will be shaken by the hand and thanked for the part they've played and others will now come in and we could see things moving in a different direction with different ideas. Sometimes, if you have been part of the furniture for a long time, you need to take a step back and admit it's time for someone else to come in and that's maybe the case with someone like Craig. Report by Aidan Smith Evening Times Sport, May 5 Emma Houston sets out to break new ground. Report by Susan Egglestaff. Emma Houston is as far from the traditional Olympic athlete as one can imagine. While most sports people with Olympic aspirations have spent years, decades even, dreaming about gracing the Olympic stage before it becomes a reality, Houston's thoughts, until very recently anyway, were instead consumed with treading the boards in one of the most renowned theatre districts in the world. When, just a few years ago, Houston was centre stage in London's West End, becoming an Olympian had never even entered the Scots consciousness. But with breaking the Olympic Games' newest sport, 
The prospect of being a part of the world's greatest sporting event became something Houston and countless other dancers suddenly had in their sights. It was, however, at the most unlikely of times that Houston, who identifies as non-binary and goes by the pronouns they, them, developed ambitions of becoming an Olympian. Having caught COVID early in the pandemic as a consequence of those West End performances, the 31-year-old then developed long COVID, leaving him unable to do even a single press-up. Counterintuitively, however, it was at this very moment that Houston decided to go for the Olympic Games. Three years on, the London-based Scott is within touching distance of Paris 2024. They said, I was on the West End before the pandemic, but then I got really, really bad at long COVID. Imagine going from your pinnacle fitness, doing two hour shows every night like it's nothing, to then suddenly being floored. There was a point I thought I'd never dance again. And I had to grieve that. But in December 2020, I made a pact with myself that I was going to go for the Olympics, which was strange because at that point, I couldn't do anything physical, not even a press-up. But very slowly, I built it back up. And to be at this point now is crazy. Houston began sporting life as a footballer a Falkirk ladies player. It was a twist of fate that ended up sending her in this current direction. And almost immediately, Houston realised she had found not only her calling, but the discipline that suited her far more than the structured narrow world that football can be. Houston said, I watched a dance film called You Got Served because a friend said he thought I'd really like it. Little did he know he would change my life forever. Instantly I loved it and wanted to get involved. It wasn't that my heart left football, but rather I felt I could express more of myself through dance. Traditional sport can sometimes feel one-dimensional, and I had a lot of creative expression I was yearning to explore. So I transitioned over, studied dance, and it all grew from there. Houston's talent in dance was quite apparent. And while those early days did not include dreams of the Olympic Games, they have recently realised the opportunity the Olympics presents for dancers. However, with breaking traditions and backgrounds so disparate from those of the Olympics, Houston admits, and many of her fellow breakers, have somewhat conflicted feelings about the sport's impending inclusion in Paris next summer. The Olympic format will see dancers split into male and female categories and battle for medals in one-to-one dance-off with two winners ultimately crowned the sport's first Olympic champions. Houston remains unconvinced 
that becoming an Olympic event will be solely positive for the sport, but remains entirely open-minded about what Olympic inclusion will do for breaking. Breaking is not a mainstream thing, and that's where there's a stark contrast to the Olympics, which is an institution that's very elitist and that notoriously discounts people who are in the margins. So where is hip-hop's place in that space, Houston asks. It is a nuanced one. I don't think its inclusion is entirely good or entirely bad. I can see a lot of positives of being in the Olympics, but there's a lot of things where it remains to be seen what comes of it. Will it bring opportunities? Or is it going to be a similar individualistic capitalist success vibe, whereby very few profit and the rest of the culture is left exactly as it was, or even worse off? But we, the dancers, are part of this movement, so with as much power as we have, we can ensure that it goes in the right direction. It's about changing it by being inside it, rather than looking on from the sidelines. Report by Susan Egglestaff Evening Times Sport, May 5 What Postacoglu must do to seal legendary Celtic manager status. Report by Kenneth Ward It began with the forging of the SPL and SFL. Seven trophies were handed down to Celtic, one to Rangers. Within these pieces of silverware was bound the will to lord it over rivals for 12-month periods, but they were both of them deceived, for another trophy was being forged. Deep in the land of UEFA, in the fires of Neon, Alexander Seferin forged a master title, and into this Champions League trophy he poured money, money, and more money, one cup to rule them all. Between all the talk of a domestic treble for Ange Postecoglou and the incessant prologuing of the King's coronation on the television, I was in the mood for epic, long-winded trilogies set in mythological times. Having dusted down the DVD player in the domicile and eked out the hallowed Lord of the Rings, extended version box set from my Stone of Destiny styled window seat in the bedroom. I must have fallen asleep, as is my custom, before the opening monologue had even commenced. The ten-hour-long tour de force of battles won and lost, bizarre pageantry and rituals, and great assortments of glorious and grotesque beings could again just as easily be applied to both the Scottish football season and the upcoming coronation. But we digress. Was a premonition being forged in that reverie? Since the merging of the old Scottish Premier League with the Scottish Football League back in 2013, the year after Rangers were thrown into the fires of Mount Doom after their financial collapse, Celtic have utterly dominated the domestic football landscape. Seven titles will soon become eight over that period. Indeed, they may be crowned this coronation weekend when they travel to Tynecastle 
to face hearts on Sunday, with the decadent touch of a potential fifth treble in seven years, very much within their grasp, having put Rangers to the sword in the Scottish Cup semi-final last weekend. But there was one other title delivered during the Premiership period. When Rangers rose from the ashes and returned to a throne, they had not held since that 2012 demise. Uncontented to allow this resurgence to continue, Celtic axed Neil Lennon during that ill-fated 2021 season during his second reign as manager, a somewhat alternate ending to the return of the king, and brought in the relatively unknown figure of Ange Postecoglou from the Far East lands of J-League soccer. There will no doubt be an elvish translation of the legend of Ange and the impact the Greek-Australian has had on the Parkhead club. Such has been the magnitude of the turnaround since his arrival. After returning to the throne of Scottish football with a league and cup double last term, Postecoglou has a chance to go one better this season. But what comes next will determine whether the manager's tale is retold for generations to come. After a first Champions League group stage quest since 2017, this season, now is the time to move up to the next level. With Seferns all-seeing eye patrolling European football's elite competition, the current automatic qualification to the group stage for winning the Premiership title feels like a back staircase entry into the high security centre of power. This fragile luxury presents a timely opportunity to make some moves towards that metropole where all the riches reside. With each point secured and a win on the board in the group stage topping up the financial rewards for qualifying, it is imperative that Celtic improve on the two draws earned against third place Shakhtar Donetsk this season, with the Ukrainians parachuting into the Europa League playoff and Celtic denied European football after Christmas. For Postecoglou, the guaranteed shot at Europe's best sides, the reputation his style of play has garnered, and the success of his dealings in the transfer market to date, will all work in the Parkhead Club's favour this summer. Winning titles and playing at the top level in club football is not a difficult sales pitch. But make no mistake, the coming campaign will be the season the manager is measured by. As bosses' heads roll in the Premier League more frequently than orcs in the battle for Middle Earth, Postecoglou's name pops up with increasing regularity as a potential heir. Having made the voyage to the relative periphery of European football centre stage in the Scottish Premiership, Postecoglou, who has managed his national side at a World Cup during a two-decade career in management, would not be shy in admitting that he has further ambitions in the dugout. At 57 years old, this Wizard of Oz 
is no Gandalf the Grey. He's still got plenty of managerial road in front of him. But he's no elfin spring chicken either. And at the back of his mind, he'll be keen to get a move on in his quest to fulfil his personal ambitions. A treble to follow a double and a qualifying from a Champions League group at the second time of asking would demonstrate to potential suitors the sharp progress he has made under the pressure of delivering at a club whose supporters demand such success. Like his predecessor Brendan Rodgers, who clinched a move to the Premier League at Leicester on the back of all sweeping domestic success with Celtic, Postecoglou is doing this during a period of unprecedented dominance for the Parkhead club. Progress in the Champions League, that one cup to rule them all, is the only true route to securing immortality with the club's support and of convincing the wider footballing world of his abilities. If Postecoglou is to become a Celtic legend and go on to bigger and better things elsewhere, he must make inroads on the continent first, says Kenneth Ward. Evening Times Sport, May 8. Billy Dodds on Inverness's plans to cope. Report by Ewan Payton. Inverness will go just under a month without a competitive game of football before this season's Scottish Cup final. Billy Dodd's men face the daunting task of taking on Celtic in the showpiece event at Hamden on Saturday, June 3, and it could be argued that it became even harder once their championship fate was sealed. Inverness finished outside of the promotion playoff spots with Ayr, Queen's Park and Patrick Thistle left to battle it out to see who faces a living spot in the Premiership for a place in next season's top flight. So with Inverness's season now done, it was confirmed that the Highlanders will go 29 days without a competitive match prior to their cup final showdown. Former Rangers and Aberdeen player Dodds has revealed how he plans to cope with such a long break. Speaking after his team missed out on the final places, he told the club's official YouTube channel that he had already made plans for this eventuality. He said, I've spoken with my staff about it. We'll be taking some time off. We have a month to go and we've had a hard season. So we have got to peak the players again. Then we will be starting to get back to work in a week's time. We will turn the legs, try to get a couple of games and prepare for the final in the right manner, not just turn up. We need to be in Celtic's faces and get close to them. Not be thinking we're going to coast through the game and have a nice day out at Hamden. Report by Ewan Payton. Evening Times Sport, May 8. Michael Stewart in Twitter rant over Rangers penalties run. Report by Stuart Wilson. 
Michael Stewart has taken to social media platform Twitter to express his fury over a refereeing decision in Rangers' win over Aberdeen. The pundit branded John Beaton's decision to wave play on after Connor Goldson appeared to foul winger Duke embarrassing. BBC and BT Sport Pundit went on to describe the Ibrox Club's failure to concede a penalty this season as incredible. Rangers went on to win the game 1-0 after a volley by Todd Cantwell after an hour of the game and Stewart clearly felt the Dons had been hard done by. He wrote, absolutely embarrassing from the officials. Minutes later, Apparently unable to concede his anger at Beaton's display, he tweeted again, adding, Aberdeen's incredible run of clean sheets and victories came to an end at Ibrox, while Rangers' incredible run of no penalties against continued. Incredible. Aberdeen manager Barry Robson was also upset after the game and said, we looked like we would open them up quickly at times, a bit too quick at times. On another day, it could have been a lot different result. You need to take them whenever you are, not just coming here. But it's probably more important to take them here. You have those two unbelievable chances in the first half. They don't come much better than one-on-one -on -one chances. And then obviously the first half. Is it a penalty? or a free kick outside as well. I don't know. It was one or the other. Where was VAR? Anyone seen it? Where was it? I don't know. Was it in the building today? I am being serious. Well, where was VAR? What is the point of all of us speaking? Because none of us know, do we? I don't know. Report by Stuart Wilson Evening Times Sport May 8. Morellis Rangers transfer exit confirmed. Report by Aidan Smith. Michael Beale has confirmed that Alfredo Morellis will be leaving Rangers this summer and the Ibrox boss appeared to fire a final parting shot at the Colombian after his side defeated Aberdeen. Morellis was left on the bench and came on as a substitute but Beale was furious with how wasteful his team were. He said, Morellis is moving on. You saw a difference when he came on, and not a positive difference. I think we're probably the most wasteful team in the final third I've ever seen. Todd Cantwell's terrific second half volley was enough to give Rangers a 1-0 Premiership win over Aberdeen. On the day Celtic retained the league title, with a 2-0 win over Hearts at Tynecastle, the former Norwich midfielder gave the home fans something to cheer about in the 65th minute with a fine finish from a James Tavernay corner. Barry Robson's rejuvenated Dons beat Rangers 2-0 at Pitodry two weeks ago in the last game before the split and they had their chances again, but it turned out to be a first defeat in eight for the third place visitors. Michael Beale's side have lost three out of their last four, including a Scottish Cup semi-final loss to Celtic at Hampden Park. So 
They will welcome a return to winning ways, despite a patchy performance. Report by Aidan Smith. Evening Times Sport, May 8. Postikoglu has high hopes for Tour of Japan. Report by James Kearney. Ange Postikoglu hopes that Celtic's pre-season tour of Japan and South Korea will help swell the club's fan base in the Far East and allow the Singe Premiership champions-in-waiting to capitalise on increased interest in the team. The Greek-Australian who moved to Scotland from Yokohama F. Marinos in the summer of 2021 has recruited heavily from the Japanese market during his four transfer windows in charge at Parkhead, while South Korea international Hyeon Gyo-o was brought to the club in January. Said Postikoglu, I am delighted with the tour for personal reasons. I was delighted with the Australian trip last summer, and I am delighted with a Japan trip. Obviously, I spent four years there, and knowing the country really well, and a lot of people there, it's great. I think the most important thing is that the football club gets to broaden its reach. Obviously, with our recruiting in the last 18 months or so, mainly in Japan, but also in Korea, there is now great interest in our football club. We want that to grow. We want to create millions more Celtic supporters. And I think our presence there, I know in Japan in particular, but in Korea as well, will be greatly appreciated. We will put back in as much as we get from these trips by giving the opportunity to show people just how much we appreciate their support in these countries. And we'll also give back to them in terms of developing their footballers and giving them new experiences as well. I am really looking forward to it. It will be a great trip. They have fantastic facilities, fantastic support and great teams to play against. I think the players will enjoy it as well. Pretty much all of Postikoglu's Asian recruits have been a success since making the move to Glasgow. And there is little doubt that the Celtic manager is finding value in a market that is typically overlooked by Scottish clubs. He is confident in his ability to keep unearthing gems in the Far East and believes that the examples set by the likes of Kyogo, Dazen Maida and Rio Hatate will help to convince others to follow in their footsteps. Added Postikoglu, I think it definitely helps, not just because we are signing players and giving them an opportunity, but the players' experiences help. The best feedback you can get in life is from a person who is involved. All the players who have come here have appreciated how welcoming everyone has been and how the club has looked after them and how they have enjoyed their time in the city and how the supporters have embraced them. That is better ammunition for us in terms of selling who we are than us just trying to tell people what we can provide. It's coming straight from the people involved, and I think that's been tremendously helpful for us. It's a market that will become more and more competitive. It already is competitive. So having some trust there from people 
is enormously helpful for us. Report by James Kearney Evening Times Sport, May 8 Rangers Target Quizzed Report by Mark Walker Rangers Target Josh Maja has revealed he will make his decision about his future at end of the season after the Bordeaux striker was quizzed on the Ibrox side's interest. The Nigerian international signed for Bordeaux in a £3.5 million deal four years ago after three years at Sunderland. He was previously at Manchester City and Crystal Palace as a youngster and has been at Fulham and Stoke City on loan. The 24-year-old manager is out of contract at the end of the season as Bordeaux aim for a return to League One. He's the second top scorer in the French second tier with 16 goals and has played in all of their league games this season. He has been linked with a move to Rangers once his contract expires and was asked directly about it in an interview in France. He said, I cannot think about that at the moment. We have so many important games before the end of the season and I have to concentrate on that only. We'll see what happens at the end of the season. I have to wait to hear what the management of this club says and whether they want to keep me. Maja was pinpointed for the top by former Sunderland boss Jack Ross when he was in charge of the Black Cats. The former Hibs and the New United boss said, he does have a brilliant attitude and good quality and he is a very, very good finisher. Report by Mark Walker Evening Times Sport, May 8 Sam Kerr reveals curling career switch Report by Chris Jack It was a sliding doors moment for Sam Kerr that is now opening them for others. After turning her back on a career on the ice, she is aiming to sweep the board at Ibrox. Kerr's first sporting love was curling rather than football, and it was not until she entered her teenage years that she swapped the rink for the pitch. A childhood affiliation with Rangers and an admiration of a Cristiano Ronaldo-inspired Manchester United ultimately took her down the road to glory with the ball at her feet rather than a stone in her hand. She can recall a time when Kim Little was the only major figure that she could look up to in the game. Today Scottish football is full of such sources of inspiration and Kerr herself acts as a role model to the next generation as a rising star at Rangers. Last week the 24-year-old took time out of her schedule to give something back to the grassroots level as she joined former Ibrox hero Kenny Miller at the Riverside Stadium to coach kids. She knows the benefit as well as anyone. When I was younger, there were limited sources to get involved and play football, Kerr said, as she pointed to the progression of Emma Watson, Kirsty McLean and Jodie McClearly as they have risen through the Rangers Academy system. If you did, you had to pay money 
and some people cannot afford that. The McDonald's fun sessions are allowing children to come and join in for free and play football. It is an amazing opportunity across Scotland and anyone, whether you are a girl or a boy, can join in and I hope they take advantage of that and fall in love with the game. The lack of role models back in the day was a big thing and now you can see the number of girls and boys coming to our games and wanting to get involved. I find it hard to believe that I could be a role model for someone, but it is great to see the number of people getting involved and be part of that to potentially inspire just one person is amazing. I did not get involved with football until I was about 12 because I did not know any local teams in my area and they never really recruited anyone. I just played with the boys in school and never really had that passion or got involved with it. It wasn't until I tried out for the school of football that someone saw me and really tried to push me to join. Before that, there wasn't really anything out there that I could see or relate to or any opportunities. Kerr was a late convert to the beautiful game, but she has made up for lost time. Silverware's success with Glasgow City has been followed by historic moments for Rangers. The midfielder became the first woman to score a goal at Ibrox during the win over Aberdeen on the way to the SWPL title last term, and she can take pride and encouragement at the way in which female figures are now held up in their own right. Said Kerr, I used to play curling before football, so I could have been a curler. I went to university and I have a sports science degree, so I would probably have continued down that route. I wanted to go professional and I played until I was 12, 13 before I moved into football, so I was quite late. I went to the Royal Caledonian Curling Club and was with some popular people then, but I don't know how I would have turned out. I thought I was class when I was 12. When I was younger, Eve Muirhead was playing in the groups above me. It was amazing, and obviously I looked up to her. Now you look at the amount of media that covers women's sport, and there are multiple role models out there, be it in football, curling, or whatever sport, and it is great. When I was younger, it was only Eve Muirhead and Kim Little for me, so it is good that the coverage is growing and people are getting that recognition. If all goes to plan in the coming weeks, Kerr and her Ochenhaui teammates will rise in prominence once again and leave another mark in Rangers history. A run of four fixtures will determine their fate in the title race. Later this month, Hamden and their old firm rivals await in the Scottish Cup final. Said Kerr, it is unbelievable. Hopefully we get a big crowd and it just shows that women's football is progressing with that game at the National Stadium. We have a league to take care of, we know that. We are going to try and win all our games and hopefully win the league and then win the Scottish Cup. There are really exciting times ahead for women's football in Scotland 
and hopefully we get as many people as we can to the games and they want to continue participating in sport and see us as role models for that. It is exciting. When I was younger, you would play finals at Hamden, at Hamilton. Having games at Hearts and Hibs is unbelievable. And to be at the National Stadium and on the pitch is what you would dream about when you were younger. So to know it is an achievable goal now is huge for the game in Scotland. Report by Chris Jack. Evening Times Sport, May 8. Why Van Veen pips Celtic Stars to Player of the Year vote? Report by Graeme McGarry. First, a confession. I have two sons who have spent much of the last 48 hours singing about how a certain motherwell striker is the best they've ever seen. His first name's Kevin and his second is Van Veen, if you are not familiar with the ditty. So I have a little skin in this game. Any neutral observer, though, must also recognise that Motherwell manager Stuart Kettlewell's claim that his red-hot forward would be a deserving recipient of the Premiership Player of the Year award was a legitimate one. Van Veen's brilliantly taken goal against Kilmarnock on Saturday was his 25th goal of the season. Any striker who reaches such a number must be in the conversation when it comes to handing out the individual gongs at the end of the campaign. But Van Veen's achievement is all the more remarkable when placed into the context of Motherwell's largely abject season before Kettlewell's appointment. When club legend Stephen Hamill lost his job as manager after a dismal Scottish Cup exit at Wraith Rovers in February, Motherwell sat joint bottom of the Premiership and had been in wretched form. Van Veen wasn't so much feeding off scraps as surviving on crumbs, but somehow his goal at Starts Park that day was his 14th of the season. Since Kettlewell's appointment, Motherwell have improved hugely and a large part of their revival has been built around squeezing even more out of their talismanic frontman. Having ploughed a lone furrow for the most part up top to that point, he has now mostly been paired with either Jonathan Obika or Michael Mandron, who have taken on their fair share of the spade work and allowed Van Veen to concentrate more on getting into areas where he can hurt the opposition. The results have been spectacular. He has added another 11 goals to his tally, with 10 of those coming in his last seven games. He was virtually unplayable against Kilmarnock, with his confidence clearly sky-high, and Ash Taylor and Joe Wright will likely testify they have rarely had a tougher afternoon all season. So, just as Michael Higdon's goal-scoring exploits were rewarded 10 years ago with the PFA Scotland Player of the Year award, there is every possibility that Van Veen will follow suit 
and become the latest Motherwell forward to scoop the prize. And if he does, given his colourful personality, there is every possibility that he might also follow in Higdon's footsteps by ending up in the slammer after celebrating. There are, of course, other worthy candidates standing in the way. Celtic striker Kyogre is the only man in the country who has currently outscored Van Veen, and he has been sensational for Celtic. His goal yesterday to clinch the title for his team was his 30th of the campaign and was the perfect example of his brilliance. He might not take too many touches, but he tends to make them count. He has the obvious advantage of playing in a team that creates a high volume of scoring opportunities, but his movement is levels above anything else the Premiership has to offer, and he is arguably the best finisher in the league. An interesting question to ponder is, if Kyogo and Van Veen swap places, would Kyogo score the same amount of goals as Van Veen has in this Motherwell side? Van Veen would fancy himself to bag a decent amount in a Celtic jersey for sure, and it could be argued he has had to work a lot harder for his goals than Kyogo generally has. That's not to take anything away from Kyogo, who Van Bain himself readily admits is the better player. In fact, he called him the best player in the league after the recent meeting between the sides at Celtic Park. I do not necessarily agree with that statement, with Kyogo's teammate Callum McGregor, the outstanding player in the division for me. He too has a strong claim for his sterling contribution to Celtic's success, as does the outstanding Rio Hatati. Cameron Carter-Vickers, too, has been a rock at the back. Elsewhere, Rangers captain James Tavarnier's consistently outrageous goal return from right back always has him in the mix, despite a disappointing season overall for the Ibrox men, while Hearts skipper Lauren Shankland has also hit 25 goals for the Gorky side. If any of these players was to be voted as Player of the Year for any of the various awards, they would be worthy recipients. And it could be argued that most of them are better players than the big Dutchman overall. But for me, Van Veen's exploits are all the more impressive, given that he has achieved what he has for a team that has spent the majority of the campaign languishing near the foot of the table. Motherwell's second top scorer is Blair Spittle, who hit his fifth of the season against Kilmarnock at the weekend. These are awards for individual excellence, and as that stat shows, no individual has contributed so much or been just so critical to his team as Van Bain has. Without him, Mother would surely still be in the thick of the relegation dogfight. Instead, they will survive comfortably, and they have Van Bain to thank for that. For those reasons, and in a futile attempt 
to compete somewhat with Van Veen in the affections of my own children. The big man gets my vote, says Graham McGarry. That concludes this week's edition of the Glasgow Times Sports Podcast. Please remember to subscribe to our channels at Q and Review and to tell your friends about our service.